Today on Ag News Daily. A lot of these elevators are now pricing all wheat off the December contract. So the cash market is based on the December wheat, so this May wheat's more of a speculative position. Now I do think there's a very good shot they could trade wheat Monday night, if not Tuesday. We were locked limit up today. Good afternoon and welcome to a Market Monday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr here, joined by Delaney Howell. And from the sounds of it, we're both having a scatterbrain kind of day. Uh, Yes, I'm getting ready to head to Commodity Classic, fly out tomorrow night, Tuesday night. So I'm just trying to get all my ducks in a row before we leave, Ashton. And I'm trying to get my ducks in a row before I have my final college spring break next week. I'm trying to get all of my research report stuff done. I have a midterm this week. So my brain is just about everywhere it can be at the moment. I totally understand. Well, I tell you what, as we're diving into some news for today, I've got some not so great news, but also an experience I just wanted to share on the podcast. We were out running errands on Saturday afternoon in West Des Moines. So right off of Interstate 80 and uh, it starts getting dark outside Ashton. And it was a pretty nice day. It was probably maybe 50 degrees out and the the sky starts changing colors and Blaine was concerned. So we started getting ready to head home. And then we realized that there were tornado warnings. And uh, some tornadoes had actually been spotted in Winterset, Iowa, which is just west of the Des Moines metro, maybe about 30, 45 minutes. And there was a big tornado that came down in Winterset, Iowa, and uh, killed, I think, four folks. And injured a couple others, but it was a really big storm that just swept through without much warning. And we were driving home in it. And I had never experienced a hailstorm while we'd been out in it. I mean, we'd had hail, we've had hail obviously before, but I've never been physically out while it's been hailing Ashton. Have you ever been out while it's been hailing? Not that I can really remember. We get a lot of hail like every spring here in Lubbock and back home in Dallas. We have like frequent hailstorms, but I can't really pinpoint a time that I've driven in it. Yeah, it was a little bit uh, chilly, eerie to say the least. The sky turned kind of an orangey color. So that was strange. And as we're driving home, these weren't very big hail pieces. I mean, they were maybe the size of your fingernail. So not very big. But as we're driving home, it's just pelting the truck. And I'm looking at Blaine thinking, oh, no, the truck is going to be dented like a golf ball, which when we got home, we checked it. Everything looked pretty good. I was really surprised there was no uh, visible damage, but it was a really nasty storm. A lot of communities in Western Iowa and in West of Des Moines, Iowa, like Winterset are dealing with the aftermath today. A lot of homes and businesses destroyed. And I tell you what, it is just such typical Iowa weather because we had that happen on Saturday afternoon. And then yesterday night, Ashton, it started to snow. So we went from warm and tornado action to now looking outside and the ground is lightly covered with snow. So you just can't win here, it seems like. Yeah, I'm definitely not ready for springtime weather because that typically brings a lot of hail thunderstorms, some tornadoes. So I'm not looking forward to that springtime weather, although I am looking forward to it being a little bit warm. 
But Delaney, other than some weather news, I wanted to give an update on the number side of bird flu in the U.S. Because over the weekend, we saw some farms in Maryland and South Dakota report that they had come down with some cases of bird flu. And it's now been found in 21 domestic flocks in 12 different states. That's what we're up to now. And nearly 1.9 million birds, although those are mostly chickens and turkeys, have died either from the disease or from calling. And I was just shocked at these numbers. I know that I've been reporting a ton on this, but I didn't realize that we were already up to almost 2 million birds gone. Yeah, I saw that piece of news as well and was a little bit surprised by those statistics. And I hadn't realized that it was in three different states now, which actually it's in more than that because it's also in both Carolinas, I want to say. Yes, the article that I was reading um, was just reporting on Missouri, Maryland, and South Dakota, because that's been the most recent, but they said that it's a total of 12 states that have reported cases. Yeah, so certainly something to keep an eye on. Hopefully we don't see 2015 avian influenza levels because that was crazy, but uh, definitely a concern for those folks that have obviously tested positive and also live in areas that could potentially be paths of further spread. But Ashton, I'm going to take things here somewhat international for a second as we continue to watch the domino effect caused by Russia-Ukraine tensions. And after three weeks of steady increases, average fertilizer prices jumped 10.5% on Friday. I believe I reported this as well, but didn't really have a lot of background as to why that had happened, other than obviously pointing the finger at Russia and Ukraine. But we saw that Russia's Ministry of Industry and Trade has officially announced to their domestic fertilizer companies to halt all exports of fertilizer due to what they're saying are logistical problems, which was in a statement that came out from the ministry on Friday. The ministry said several foreign logistic companies are sabotaging deliveries, preventing Russia from supplying fertilizer in Europe and other countries. So while we're still continuing to see the fertilizer battle ensue, Russia has now decided to officially halt fertilizer exports, and that will most certainly cause concern for maybe potentially folks here in the United States, but even more so farmers down in Brazil who have already been trying to scramble and find available fertilizer supplies as the war in the Black Sea region continues. So certainly not great news there for folks who don't have fertilizer needs locked in yet this year. Well, Delaney, I know that there's going to be a couple of different fertilizer industry representatives at Commodity Classic later this week. So I'm putting it on you to chat with them so you can bring some stuff back to the podcast because I'm interested to see what those kind of folks have to say about what's going on right now when it comes to fertilizer. You know, we were talking to Josh Linville a couple months ago about an end in sight, but, you know, he's been tweeting out more recently that things might be taking a turn here or things are taking a turn here as uh, the, the war kind of rages on. But I also have some Russia-Ukraine news myself, two other pieces of news that I wanted to share. And the first coming from Brazil. 
We have seen then an increase in grain prices in the wake of Russia's attack on Ukraine, and this is in turn hurting Brazilian meat packers. But trade dis- disruptions that are facing Ukrainian and Russian meat producers may be an opportunity for Brazil to boost their share in global trade. As we've talked about here on the podcast before, Delaney, Russia and Ukraine together account for about 29% of global wheat exports and 19% of corn exports. And we know that both of those things can be used for livestock feed. So depending on how the situation plays out, this conflict may also lead to Brazil accessing markets served by competitors. According to some resources that was reported to Reuters, one potential development is Europe scrapping a ban on several Brazilian meat packers that were imposed in 2018 after a food sector scandal. Ricardo Santin, who is the president of Meat Lobby ABPA, says that the industry is prepared to cover gaps and support the food security of nations that may be short supplied by the likely suspension or decrease in exports of chicken and pork from Russia and Ukraine. But I think that it's kind of a given here that, you know, other countries are going to be stepping in where Russia and Ukraine cannot at the moment. But I thought that this was interesting just because it talked about Brazil specifically kind of meeting those consumer needs when it comes to to meat anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of things in flux right now, Ashton. So certainly going to be another thing that we kind of keep in our back pockets to pay close attention to moving forward. But I tell you what, uh, one thing that's kind of slipped my mind this week, Ashton, is the WASDE report that's coming up on Wednesday morning. And it's probably going to be traded through quickly. I'm sure we'll get Jim McCormick's take on it here in just a little bit, chiding markets. But there's a lot of other things that are, of course, weighing heavier on the markets right now as we continue to watch wheat. It uh, remains near an all-time high. We are continuing to see how Brazil's soybean crop comes out of the fields, weather down there, and we've got going to continue to trade the Russia-Ukraine story. So might be interesting to see how little WASD reacts to this week's WASD report, but we'll be sure to get Jim's take on that here coming up in just a moment. But I, I got to tell you that completely slipped my mind that this WASD report was happening this week, Ashton. Hey, Delaney, we already told the people that we were scatterbrained today, so they can't hold it against you. Okay, that's fair. I, we did say that. Yes. Well, I just have one other piece of news here, and it's just talking about another association or another firm, rather, that is taking a strike against Russian business. Very cooperative. Arla Foods said earlier today that it would suspend its business in Russia after they invaded Ukraine. And I've seen a couple different stories really across the globe here of people boycotting Russia. I don't know if that's even a thing, but they're stopping Russian business. I know that a couple of people have taken, you know, Russian made products off the shelves, but this would include imports to Russia and local operations in the country where Arla operates one dairy and employs 70 people. So they actually have boots on the ground, a brick and mortar place in Russia, and they're still boycotting quote unquote Russian business. So I thought that that was pretty interesting to share Delaney, but other than that, that's all I got. Absolutely. And I am, I'll just put a quick uh, side note out there. I don't want to make any promises, but I am working to try and get 
an interview, secure an interview with a Ukrainian farmer who is going through this firsthand right now. Fingers crossed we can get that set up through the Global Farmer Network. But uh, otherwise, this week, you're definitely going to be hearing a little bit more about what's going on in the industry as we hit the ground in New Orleans this week for Commodity Classics. So folks, if you are going to be there and want to connect with us, feel free to shoot us a message. As we mentioned on Friday's podcast, the Iowa banker man Tanner Winterhoff is going to be joining me down in New Orleans. So if you want to meet up with either of us, we will be there and welcome any further conversations. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. But Ashton, that's the quick plug I had for Commodity Classic. What do you say we take a look here at the markets? Let's do it. Well, Ashton, as we take a look at markets today, we saw again wheat continuing to trade limit up and corn and soybeans trying to follow along, follow the leader there, but didn't quite follow through on today's price action. Kicking things over here first, let's start in the wheat pits as the March, excuse me, as the May contract closed limit up to end at 1294, December up 90, or excuse me, up 68 and three quarters cents to close at 1048 and three quarters. This is six consecutive days of limit up moves in the Chicago wheat pits. Corn and soybeans had pretty big moves in the overnight, but pulled back into the opening this morning as May corn closed three and a half cents lower to end at 750 and three quarters. The D sub 13 and a quarter cent closing the day out at 642 and three quarters. And in soybeans today, the May contract down a penny to close at 1659 and a half. The November added two and three four cents to close at 1453 on the nose. In the Livestock pits today, we saw green across the cattle complex and weakness in lean hogs. April live cattle today up $2.12 to close at $137.90. The June up a buck 40, settling the day at $133.92. Feeder cattle today adding some green on the screen, as I mentioned there, with the April contract up $2.42.5 to close at $159.67. The May up $2.55, closing at a buck 64. Lean hogs showed weakness today, but not extreme weakness as we saw last week. Some limit, not quite limit down moves. The April today down 17 and a half cents to close at 127. The May down 67 and a half cents to close at a buck oh five. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. April up 30 cents today to close at 23.98. The May up 50 cents to close at 24.12. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our hashtag Market Monday conversation with Jim McCormick. Well, folks, as we continue to discuss the commodity markets and their impact on trading Russia, Ukraine, and this fear that continues to drive the markets. I want to chat first here. We're with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Before we get into all that heavy stuff today, Jim, you guys are going to be hitting the ground in New Orleans, boots on the ground here tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening as well, for folks to be able to come find you at Commodity Classic this week. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you guys are doing at your booth. At our booth, uh, yeah, um, you can find our booth. It's booth number 4712. Um, we got a couple things going on. We encourage you people to stop by. We've got two different giveaways. We've, we're going to give away a bison cooler. But more importantly, a lot of people are excited. We are giving away a Savage 555 shotgun. So if you come into the come to the Ag Market booth, fill out a little paperwork, put your name in the raffle, and uh, you have an opportunity of winning a shotgun or a, 
or like I said, or a bison cooler. So uh, please stop by. On top of it, our business partner, Matt Bennett, he will be speaking for the Early Riser event, I believe, on Thursday morning as well, if you want to hear an ag market uh, partner speak. Well, okay, Jim, we got to clarify this. You guys are going to ship the shotgun, right? You're not expecting people to try and take this home with them. No, we are not. Essentially, we will draw the name. And actually, if you are the lucky winner, what we're actually going to do is we're going to have you go to one of your local preferred retailers. Okay. That retailer will fill out the paperwork. And then actually, uh, who we purchase a shotgun for from, they will ship the gun down to uh, your preferred dealer, per se, if you are the lucky one to do it. So no, you don't have to try to figure out how to get a gun onto the airplane if you uh, flew down to the commodity classic. So yeah, good question. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that'll be fun. I wish I could enter into the drawing there. I might have to send my fiance over there to hit you guys up. But Jim, we've got a lot going on this week between Commodity Classic. We're continuing to trade the Russia-Ukraine story. But one thing that completely slipped my mind this week until I read some articles about it this morning was WASDI is also happening this week on Wednesday. Do you think there's going to be much action after the WASDI report is dropped, or do you think we're going to just, uh, it is what it is. There's bigger things to trade right now. You know, coming into today, I thought it was more like a, it, it was going to be more is as it is, not a much of a big market mover. You know, traditionally, they don't make a whole lot of adjustments. Maybe you'll make a little bit more tweaks to the South American crop. But they're now being reports today that the USDA has come out and said they are going to take up to the minute information of what's going on in the Ukraine and make adjustments accordingly to the balance sheet. And that's where we could get a little bit of an interesting situation. I mean, roughly, there's roughly five, 600 million bushels of corn that the Ukrainians have sold. And the million dollar question is, are they gonna be able to get that shipped out? And if they cannot get that corn shipped out, does the USDA think that demand may come back to the United States, which in essence would raise the price or you know, raise our export total, lower the ending stock, which would be a little bit friendly. So we'll be interesting to see as well to see, do they make any kind of adjustments for next year's crop? Because that's the question a lot of people are asking, at least on the corn side of the equation, Delaney, is mm-hmm. will they be able to get that corn crop planted? Will they have the fertilizer? Will they have the seed? Will they even have the fuel to plant a crop? Will there be the willingness to plant a crop with a country at war? And then what really gets kind of interesting we want to point out is if they can't get this year's crop, you're like, okay, maybe it's only a problem for one year. It potentially become a problem for next year because, mind you, a lot of the corn they'll plant this year will be used for seed in 2023. So if for some reason the Ukrainians cannot get this corn crop planted, it's going to tighten the balance sheet in the world, not just for one year, but potentially for two or three years. So it's something that could have huge impacts on uh, what the American producer is going to get price-wise for his grain. Yeah, Jim, you make a great point there. I don't think a lot of people have thought that far ahead to think about seed production for 23 and 24 crops. So definitely a good thing to think about there. I'm curious, when you say the USDA is going to release minute by minute data, have they given any indication of how they're going to be pulling that data? They really haven't done it. And see, normally when they do these reports, usually it's like, well, this is a projected corn ending stock demand use as of March 1 right? for the March report. That's usually how they do it when they go into lockdown. But, you know, the comments today were they're going to take it up to minute. Like, so I suppose they're going to look at maybe what they think is going to happen in the Ukraine when they go into that lockdown and try to put that into the balance sheet. Now, what I'm going to tell, encourage any listener out there to be very cautious of what the government says tomorrow, 
Because the reality is, in my opinion, this is a very, very fluent situation, what's going on there. And there's really no way of knowing what, you know, what may or may not happen as they try to get that crop in, depending on how long this conflict lasts. But it's just an opinion. And the market will be looking to trade that opinion. The computers do are loaded to trade these numbers when they get it. So they will trade it. It may be briefly, but it will trade it and it'll add a little bit extra volatility into the Wednesday market movement. Yeah, and volatility, that's really been the theme of the markets for the past couple of weeks here, especially in the wheat complex, Jim. I was reading some stuff today looking at Chicago wheat that's now had, I think, six consecutive trading days of limit up moves. What's going on there? Well, right now, at this point, it's just a plain old squeeze play in the shorts at this point in time. They have not let them out. The market is getting very brutal on them. Um, but it, it, it's interesting, though, and it's more of a speculator play at this point in time. If you are a wheat producer out right now and you're going to price wheat, they're not pricing the wheat in the cash market off the May contract. They're not even pricing off the July contract. A lot of these elevators are now pricing all wheat off the December contract. So the cash market is based on the December wheat. So this May wheat's more of a speculative position. Now, I do think there's a very good shot they could trade wheat Monday night, if not Tuesday. We were locked limit up today. But if you look at the synthetic trade and how we do that, we look at where the May, way deep in the May option traded at. And the synthetics were suggesting that wheat market would trade somewhere tonight around 1320, which would mean if they would open around 1320, you would be able to see the market trade for the first time in six days. But one thing interesting, Delaney, I want to point out is even at 1320, that's actually lower than where the synthetics are trading last week. Last week, the, the synthetics are pricing the May wheat as high as $14 a bushel. So interesting enough, the wheat could start trading tonight around at 1325, and it's actually 75 cents lower than where the market was trading, at least th- synthetically last week. So it's something we kind of be interesting to see how the market reacts when that does start to happen, hopefully tonight, tomorrow. Yeah. And Jim, explain that a little bit more for our listeners when you're talking about synthetic markets and that difference of about what you said, 75 cents there. What's that telling you? Well, what it's telling you, folks, is when the futures, there are price limits within the futures position, which is 75 cents. So when the futures are 85 now, you cannot trade limit up or limit down, but the options will continue to trade. So what happens is the traders do is they go into a way deep in the money option and they trade it. So like right now today, you're buying a $4 call and you're going to pay over $9.30 for that option. But it puts you way deep in the money. And that's how the traders trade an option that is locked limit. Now, like I said, like last week, last night, if you wanted out of that wheat option or you were caught short wheat, you called your broker, your broker could have got you out. It would have been painful. You would have bought the wheat essentially at $14, but you could have got yourself out. That's what happens when the market does get lock limit. Either way, lock limit up or down, it's called it synthetics, and that's how the market prices in a lock, uh, you know, a lock limit move. All right. Well, certainly... Don't envy those folks that are trading this market because it is extremely volatile, especially in the wheat side of things. And it's crazy to see, Jim, would you agree wheat's really leading the other grains? Well, there's no doubt about it. It's the wheat leading us up, followed by the corn. The beans are probably struggling the most. It's kind of interesting. The bean market hasn't even come close to its highs made last week or the corn and the wheat have. So yeah, the wheat's definitely going to be the leader. I'm going to be interesting, Delaney, to find out what happens once this wheat does start to trade in the May contract. Is that a signal to see this market pull back a little bit? 
I would expect somewhat of a correction somewhere down the line. We are massively overbought. Any kind of maybe somewhat positive news out of the Ukraine may cause somewhat of a, of a technical setback, but uh, it's going to be a long, volatile year right now. The Chinese, I don't know if you caught that, the Chinese came out and said their wheat ratings right now are some of the worst on record. Mm. You take our wheat ratings, some of our wheat ratings are some of the worst on record. So now you've got a, you got a, you know, a crisis of war in the Ukraine, which where about a third of the world's wheat comes out of that part of the world. Now you got China, a big wheat importer, producer, having production problems. Now you got potential production problems for the United States this summer if we cannot change this weather trend around and start getting moisture in the Western Corn Belt and the Wheat Belt. We're probably going to see, unfortunately, more volatile days like we've seen in the past week as opposed to calming down if this weather patterns do not change. And Jim, final question for you on the wheat side of things, but you mentioned Ukraine and China, Russia, they're obviously all having some different issues, but issues nonetheless, what wheat complex or what wheat market are they producing there? What market do you think has the most upside potential if they do have continued issues? We talking KC, hard red? It is pretty much in the soft red, hard red right now, because most of their okay. wheat, like most of the wheat in Ukraine is a winter wheat variety. So it's not a spring wheat, it is a winter wheat. But the spring wheat could get really interesting just as a whole, because if it looks like our hard red winter wheat, our winter wheat crop is down, are you going to see a move to drive the spring wheat up for the battle for acres? I mean, mm-hmm. right now, I've been doing this for 25 years, and I've never seen the farmer so much in flex for this late in the season trying to decide what he's going to plant. We still have a fertilizer crisis. A lot of the fertilizer in the world comes out of the Belarus as well as mm-hmm. Russia. So are we going to get all the fertilizer in the United States as well as the rest of the world? On top of it, we have a chemical production problem for some people. I have, we have some customers right now that have been told that they're not going to get their full order for chemicals this year, which is making them rethink, do I going to plant more corn or do I plant beans? Or if you're in the northern part of the country, do you plant wheat? Do you plant barley? It is an interesting situation we're going to go into. This acreage report at the end of the month, I think, will give us a little bit of clarity. But I don't even think the final decision will be made on the 31st of March. I think it could take all the way into spring as farmers are very, very fluid on on what they think or what they may end up planting. Jim, I think that's a great segue as you talk about the acreage battle that is still happening. And March 31st, acres still may not be decided. How are you advising people to market new crop corn and soybeans if they don't even know what their acres are going to be yet? Well, right now, what we're encouraging customers to do primarily is use options. Um, Futures are very, very volatile. Um, We could be explosive. I mean, the reality is, like I was mentioning earlier, you know, there's 600 million bushels of corn has been sold that can't get shipped out. Priming a lot of it's supposed to go to China. If China, does China come in and try to fill that void and get aggressive buying U.S. corn? It could be explosive. So one way to consider doing is buy, we're recommending looking at like the May short dated options. They don't cost as much. They expire in April, but they will give the producer a nice floor going into this report at the end of the month. If the market breaks down, you got a good floor. If the market explodes higher because of the conflict, unfortunately, in Ukraine is raging on and the market's really worried about it, you haven't capped yourself and allows the market to keep, you know, allows you to continue to gain. So that's how we look at it, because like you said, it it gives a floor, but it doesn't give you that commitment. We are a little bit worried about counterparty risk for people. I know a lot of customers are out there saying, hey, look, I'll just hedge it with my elevator. Something they need to kind of keep in the back of your eye. Um, When the margins get hot, elevators kind of shy away from it. They tend to charge you more and more to do HTAs. So it, it may be cheaper to look at an option play instead of doing an HTA this year. 
Fantastic. Well, Jim, before I let you go, folks want to interact with you on social media. And one more time, remind folks where they can find you this week at Commodity Classic. Well, they can, uh, you can go to any of our research at agmarket.net, but you can see us at the Commodity Classic, like I said, at booth 4712. We'll be there uh, at the booth Wednesday, Thursday, or excuse me, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And like I said, Matt will be speaking, and other of us will be around uh, doing interviews. So uh, if you see us, please come up and uh, introduce yourself. Fantastic, Jim. Well, thanks again for coming on Chat and Markets this weekend. We'll see you in New Orleans. All right. Thank you. And thank you again for having me on. Thanks again there to Jim for coming on for our Market Monday episode this week. We've got a couple of other things in store. So folks do tune in at agnewsdaily.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as I'm sure Delaney will be sharing things live from New Orleans at Commodity Classic later this week. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.